Bootstrapping your business can sometimes feel lonely. Welcome to the Bootstrapped European Entrepreneur Podcast, where you can hear the stories of your peers, as well as the strategies and tactics that have helped them grow their businesses. Your host, Uroj, co-founded a company as a student and led it through the trials and tribulations of bootstrapping to the IPO on the stock exchange. Hi, our guest today is Jan de Jong, a serial entrepreneur whose latest venture is the email marketing company WebPower Adria. In this episode, we talk about why and how he started a business in Croatia as a Dutch student and grew it to 400 employees, how he approaches building high-performance teams and the attitude he expects from his employees, and how his efforts as a private citizen led Croatia to change its laws and now welcome digital nomads. I hope you will enjoy this episode. Hi, Jan. Thanks for joining us here today. Good morning, Uros. Thank you for having me. It's a little bit strange, let's say, to have a Dutch person, let's say, on a podcast where we, for now, interviewed mostly people from Southeastern Europe. Mm-hmm. But you're not an ordinary, let's say, uh, Dutch citizen. So how did you end up in Croatia? Oh, yeah, you're saying it's a bit uncommon, perhaps, that there's a Dutch guy in uh, in, in your podcast focusing on this region. But even though I am, I, I mean, I was born and raised in the Netherlands, but I very much feel at home in Croatia. I moved to Croatia 15 years ago when I was 22 years old. I moved here originally with the plan to be here for just one year to do my uh, final thesis, my diploma skirat. And during that first year, I actually co-founded my first business. And, and after I graduated from university, I decided to stay and to continue further developing that business here. What kind of final thesis, let's say, led you to Croatia? What were you studying? Uh... I was studying marketing at the University of Leiden. And uh, I mean, this is one of those universities that actually very much encourages people to to do their final thesis abroad. So when I came to the, also to my professor with the suggestion that I wanted to do that in Croatia, they very much encouraged to do, to do these kind of things. And at that time, I was, um, you know, students in the Netherlands, they, most of them, they have like part-time jobs or even sometimes like full-time jobs while they're studying. And I was also having a job, which was to run a contact center in the Netherlands. So I was in charge over there of about 200 call agents that were doing mostly telesales, uh, telemarketing activities in the contact center in the Netherlands. And so I had a lot of experience working in, in that field. And then I went to the owner of that company in, uh, in the Netherlands. So it's called M Plus Group. And I asked him whether he liked the idea if I would basically expand M Plus Group to Croatia because the original founder is from Croatia. And he liked the idea. So that's why I... Uh, packed all my stuff in uh, September 2006, and I uh, put it all in my car, drove down to Split, and started writing my final thesis, where the subject of my final thesis was to to expand the business to Croatia. So is this unusual, let's say, to be so proactive in, let's say, final thesis in Netherlands, or is it usual for people to start companies as a no, project? I, it's, it's not very common, I would say. Uh, I mean... First of all, not most of the people that, are, that were in my class uh, at university, uh, most of them are not entrepreneurs. So they, they started working for other companies. But it is actually very common that 
that you do your final thesis with a company and that after graduation that you stay with that company. That's very common in the Netherlands. Oh, nice. But not it's not so common that you start your own business during that period. Yeah. But it's a good time to start a company, let's say, uh, at least in my experience, I was also one of those uh, that started already at university. So how did you then approach, let's say, you move to Split? You don't have any social network, probably? No. At least not significant? No, I, no, I didn't know anybody in Croatia. <laughs> how do you then approach starting a company? Okay, you probably have some backing from, let's say, M plus group in Netherlands. Yeah. So Amplus Group already was owner of an, uh, an IT company in Split. So there was a company here in Split which had like 25, 30 employees at that moment. Uh, so they had an office and I, uh, I went to that office, said hi to everybody. They were very kind to, uh, to give me a desk and a mobile phone. And um, then, you know, the first thing that you need to do is to start understanding who are the players in this market. For example, I wanted to start providing my contact center services to telecommunication companies or insurance companies or banks. But, you know, coming from the Netherlands, to Croatia, I didn't know who were the main players in telecommunication or banking, insurance, business, anything. So yeah, then then you first of all you start asking people around you, you know, who are the main telcos and 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 so on and so on, and using a lot of Google, and and then you you start reading articles, you put them in translator, you start investigating the market, and then you start approaching those companies one by one, scheduling yourself appointments. And then actually you come to realize that Croatia is very centralized. Even because I was based in Split, I thought it, it was a good decision to, to move to the second largest uh, city in Croatia. But then very soon I came to realize actually that uh, most headquarters of the larger companies, they're all based in, uh, in Zagreb. Yeah, it's probably more than 50% of economy is there. Yeah, if not more, yeah. yeah. Uh, probably far more than that, yeah. Okay, but let's say one of the things that I noticed, let's say, in the region, let's say we are quite good at, let's say, technology, but not so good at sales. What impressed me right now, let's say, is you said, okay, I made a list and I scheduled, scheduled, uh, let's say, meetings with person, yeah. uh, let's say, with my target group. Was this hard to achieve, let's say, or were people open to meeting a Dutch guy with an idea to do a contact center outsourcing? Well, I mean, back then, of course, obviously, we, we really lived in a different world, you know. Uh, technology back then was completely different than it is today. Back then, we didn't have smartphones. I remember that when I was driving to Croatia, there was no navigational system, you know. I was driving with maps. And it, it sounds crazy, but it's only 15 years ago. But in the meanwhile, so many things have changed. So there was no, like, let's, let's jump on a video call like we could do today. Uh, so I, I had to call up people that I didn't know. But then you need to know that, I have a lot of experience working in the contact center business. So the phone has always been my weapon together with my voice. And I, I just, I think I knew how to approach those companies and how to open up those doors. At the end of the day, it's all about the, the ability for you to differentiate yourself from others, from, comp from your competition. And first of all, of course, by, by speaking English, by being Dutch, being in Croatia, contacting those larger businesses, I guess that they are not being called every single day by people from abroad that wanted to meet with them. So I think that was already, let's say, helpful in me being able to differentiate myself in that way. Uh, and yeah, I was able to schedule meetings with, with the largest companies back then. And after being in Croatia for about four or five months, 
I actually made my first client, which was Metronet Telecomunicatia. So nowadays that's part of A1 Telecom, but back then it was um, an independent telco. And uh, yeah, we started working for them. And, and, and a couple of months after that, I uh, signed another client called Bnet, Bnet, which is nowadays also part of A1. Back then it was also an, an, an independent company. And by the time that I was in Croatia for about one year and I was about to graduate, we had about uh, 35 employees based in Split. And we, uh, yeah, we started growing the business further. So then probably the decision time came, let's say, should, you, should I stay or should I go? Yeah. So in the meanwhile, I also met my, my girlfriend, which is nowadays my wife. Uh, so I also had some private reasons why I really wanted to stay in Split. And then, um, yeah, Mato, my, my co-founder, basically, the, the founder of M Plus Group in the Netherlands, after I graduated, we had a lunch together and, and we spoke about me going back to Croatia to basically finish what I started. And that's where I became equal business partners with Mato, 50-50. Of course, on the condition that I would go back to Croatia to, to further develop the business and, and fast forward about uh, nine years later. The company employed uh, more than 400 people in Croatia. So you basically grew the company from zero to 400 employees and made an exit, let's say. Yeah, in 2016. In 2016, I, uh, I sold my shares. At that moment, we had a bit more than 400 employees in the company. And how many clients? If uh... Well, I would say maybe a dozen, like 12, 12 companies. Some clients were really big. You know, like Hrvatsky Telecom was one yeah. of our clients and, and they were doing nearly 50% of our revenue. And then we also had like RWE, or nowadays it's Aeon, uh, an energy company. Uh, they were also having um, uh, close to 80 people working uh, working with so us. So what would you say that in these nine years, let's say the skill that you developed most as an, uh, as an entrepreneur or as a manager already with 400 people, what was the skill that you... Uh, you develop the most? I think that uh, one of the things that, that I'm pretty good at is, uh, is to involve the right people because this is something that you cannot do alone. You know, nobody can manage a yeah. company of 400 people alone. And uh, you need to have a very good management team and you need to be able to, to engage people that are hopefully even better than you are in many fields and then to really rely on them so that you as an owner uh, never become the bottleneck for, for further development of your company. Yeah. Okay. How, how do you achieve that? It's a two-part question. First, let's say, what are your criteria for selecting, let's say, somebody that you could trust? You know, business-wise, let's say. Attitude. attitude. It, it has all about all to do with attitude, of course. Uh, what kind of attitude is okay then? Well, to have, you know, to, to, for, for, for them to, to show that they have a fighter's mentality that they really want to, uh, to further develop the business. Uh, for me, it's important that they, um, that they care very much about their colleagues, that these are individuals that always want to do anything they can to help their colleagues to become better. And then it's also important that, um, that you care very much about yourself in a way that you continue to invest in your own development. And of course, at the end, you know, honesty and loyalty towards the company and towards the founder, uh, where that is, of course, is a, is a two-way street, you know. So Okay, the, so when you meet somebody, let's say, fighter mentality, I can see that you could assess in the first meeting or first or two. What about, let's say, this uh, 
being a team player or and investing in yourself? Let's say, uh, what are the signs of uh, such a person? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not saying that I never made mistakes when hiring people. So, of course, sometimes yeah. you you get people on board that, that you later on you say, okay, that wasn't smart or that wasn't a good choice at that moment. Then it's also about reacting fast enough to let those people go and to replace them with what you hope is going to be a good replacement at that moment. Uh, for me, it has a lot to do with energy, with character. What is somebody's character really like, you know? And the only way for you to, to really discover that is by spending time with them uh, and then giving them a lot of open hands, giving them a lot of authority to, to develop the business in, in a way that they think it's best. You know, I very often say, you know, I'd rather have you ask me for forgiveness than for approval. Just go out and, 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 and develop the business in the way that you think it's best. And, and I'm here to help you to, to develop that and to kind of like think together with you strategically in which way we need to progress. But, you know, where, where people work, mistakes are being made. And that's totally okay. I just don't want to micromanage people trying to avoid making those mistakes. Because I think if you micromanage in that way, trying to avoid making mistakes then uh, you, you will just never be able to grow that fast. Okay. So, let's say you allow people space to develop this section. You already answered my second question. So, ah, okay. uh, how, how you do you remove yourself from the equation and, let's say, allow people space to develop? But you also mentioned, let's say, that if the person is not, a, let's say, a complete fit, you fire them. So, Where's this? Uh, there's like a thin line between these two options. Let's say, so would you rather err on the side that fire somebody too fast, or giving them too much, too many opportunities, and poisoning the company culture or something like that? Uh, when when it comes to poisoning the company culture, I'm very rigorous. I, I cut that out immediately because that that's not allowed to to. You cannot allow that to happen. That the company culture is being poisoned by an individual. But you know, you also have situations where perhaps that individual really does have a good character and, and is in a way a good fit with the other team members, but is still not living up to expectations. Then I'm very often the kind of person that, that gives a lot of chances to people to improve. But as, as soon as a person becomes toxic, then they have only one chance and then that's it. Okay. So let's say after exit from M plus group, let's say, what was the first thing on your mind now? Nine years in Croatia, you probably made some money. How did you feel? Yeah, well, at that moment, of course, I didn't have any obligations. Up until that moment, I was the CEO of that company that I, that I, that I left. Uh, so, yeah, you're, in a way, you're unemployed at that moment. Yeah. I was 31 years old. You do have, of course, sufficient money for the upcoming period. Uh, so the first thing I did is actually uh, I, I wanted to build a family home. So we did that. We bought a piece of land and we started developing uh, our own. We, we built our own house. And then, of course, you're looking into what are you going to do next in terms of business. And actually, quite soon after that, I already knew that I wanted to do again something with marketing, uh, do again something where... I could be a first mover in our region, uh, something that, that perhaps is already very much developed and very, very, yeah, I mean, let's say done on a very high level in countries like the Netherlands, 
for me to introduce something like that here in Croatia. And that's when I came out with, with WebPower, uh, WebPower Adria, a company we started also back in 2016, uh, which is an email service provider. So we are basically, in, in, in a nutshell, we are the local competitor to MailChimp. So MailChimp obviously is, is the global leader when it comes to software as a service for sending out uh, newsletters, for doing email marketing. And I came to realize that in Croatia and also in the rest of the region, you pretty much don't have any local player that offers a software for sending newsletters. And yeah, I there, wanted... are, there was a lot of small players, but nobody who re- really made it, let's say, really made a name for themselves. Yeah, I know there's one player right now in, in Slovenia, but they're also not very big. In Serbia, I honestly, at this point, I don't know any of them. In Croatia, okay, you have Infobip, but Infobip is not specialized in email marketing. They have much more than email marketing. Email marketing for them is just one channel. Uh, and 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 and, and it's a global that, player now. It's yeah, not, I was just going to say, you know, yeah. on top of that, even though they're from Croatia, their focus is not on Croatia. Their focus is globally. But yeah, so here in Croatia, we were able to position ourselves as a first mover, being the first company in Croatia to be specialized in email marketing and marketing automation. And of course, in the beginning, it was uh, it's, it's always difficult, you know, to, to get your first clients, but uh, we managed to do so. We focused in the beginning at getting, let's say, key references, so larger companies, again, like Croatian Telecom and Croatia Airlines, Air Serbia, those kind of companies. We could you were you able to reuse, let's say, your network? Uh, were these the same people that, uh, let's say, made the decision on contact centers and so yeah, on? Or... But you know, like I said, in the contact center, we had only like twelve big clients. Yeah. In the email marketing business, uh, it's it's about getting a lot of small clients, actually. So even though, of course, you know, I had I had a lot of contacts, and I could use those contacts to to schedule meetings again, but you know, then again, every conversation was a sales conversation where I had to either convince somebody to to switch from MailChimp to WebPower or to actually explain why somebody should start with email marketing to begin with and to use WebPower for that. And uh, well, let, let's just say that it, it takes a lot of effort. Again, a lot of phone calls, a lot of meetings, showing the product, showing the team. And, and step by step, we were getting clients. And today, so we're now um, six years later, actually, today we have about 120 clients uh, that are using our product. And we're growing actually very fast. Last year, we grew with uh, 76% compared to um, 2020. And already this year, we, we are only end of February at this moment. And we already got like 50 new clients this year. So the growth is continuing to... You're focusing only, again, on B2B, mostly B2B sales. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's all B2B, yeah. So our software is being used by companies. Yeah, and also you have a kind of neck, uh, let's say, a talent for PR, uh, because I remember that, uh, I hope that I didn't remember this in the wrong way, but at the beginning of the COVID lockdowns, that you said that for every 25 or 30 companies that switch from MailChimp to you, you will employ one person in Croatia or something like that. Yeah. How do you come up with these kind of ideas, let's say, that are in a zeitgeist? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. It was actually a moment where I felt a lot of pressure on my shoulders. Uh, it was, you know, we were just entering uh, the lockdown period. At that moment, my pipeline looked really great, but a lot of the companies in my pipeline, they... 
you know, they reached out to us and they said, sorry, but, uh, you know, we have to close all our shops because of the lockdown. Right now, we're not going to be spending any money on marketing. So we don't need your web power services. Other companies, they, they also postponed uh, their decision to switch to web power. And, you know, all of a sudden, my pipeline didn't look so great anymore. And, and I remember like thinking, you know, well, how am I going to respond to, to this situation? And at the end of the day, this was all a result of actually less money coming into Croatia because Croatia very much depends on, on tourism. More than 20% of its GDP is coming from tourism. And I thought by myself that, you know, if there's less money coming into the country, we need to make sure that there's less money leaving this country. So we should not be spending money abroad on products and services that we could be buying in Croatia locally. And that was actually then, therefore, let's say my trigger to start our Kupo Mulhrvatsko campaign, so our buy local campaign. And I wanted that with our buy local campaign that there were only winners. So I wanted to actually ask Croatian businesses to not spend their email marketing budgets anymore to, to, to MailChimp to an American-based company, but to spend it here in Croatia. And by doing so, they would get a great product with a great account management team to support them. Uh, they would get it under very price competitive terms. But I also wanted this to be very good for the Croatian economy and, and, and creating jobs, because at that moment, also a lot of people lost their job just, just when the lockdown started. So, And that's when I made this commitment that for every 25 companies that would switch from MailChimp to WebPower, that we were going to hire one full-time employee uh, in Zagreb, actually then in Croatia, because we were all working remotely. So we no longer needed to hire people in Zagreb, but we could hire them also in Osijek, for example, which we did. And uh, as a result of all that, uh, in the middle of a global pandemic, where things were at first very scary for us, uh, we actually got more than 50 new clients in that period, and we were able to open up two new job positions because of the campaign. And that was actually wow. also our moment that we really started lifting off as a company, as WebPower. Yeah, also, let's say, uh, lockdowns and everything really helped, let's say, digital companies uh, or companies in this space. Uh, it was not obvious at first. I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I still remember, let's say, we, we implemented like weekly meetings uh, with all CEOs just to share and support each other at yeah. that time. And yeah, so... But what a great idea. Uh, let's say now in this year, let's say from 2016, you grew the company to 120 clients. So you must also know something about sales and let's say setting up sales operations. Uh, how did you approach, let's say, from zero to, and how did this approach then change over the years, if you can share this with us? Yeah, so I would say that uh, from zero, to maybe 25, 30 clients. This was all just, you know, picking up the phone, uh, calling the companies that you really wanted to work with, uh, scheduling a meeting, having the sales meeting. How do you identify the person inside the company to call, let's say? Uh, for in, in our case, uh, we are most often talking with people that are, let's say, in charge of marketing or sales. So these are the departments that we'll be using an email marketing solution. So I, yeah, I would uh, call up the marketing director or the sales director in a company uh, and, and schedule a meeting with him or her and then do our pitch and, and, and try to 
get those clients to companies to start working with with WebPower. And you know, this takes a lot of effort, uh, many many meetings before you actually, and it also takes a lot of time before somebody finally decides to make that switch. Even though you know, we're very often not even talking about huge budgets, but but people are just not easily switching from something that they like to something that they might like. What was the pitch? What was the, let's say, the unique selling proposition of your solution? Well, I mean, it, it definitely changes over time. I mean, right now, the pitch would be that we offer, in my opinion, a better solution with definitely much better service because we have a local team in Zagreb or in Croatia that offer uh, customer support and, and account management. In addition to that, we are price competitive against MailChimp. And last but not least, but we are also GDPR compliant, unlike MailChimp, because MailChimp is hosting their data in the United States and we are hosting our data within the EU. So yeah, for companies that, for example, banks or insurance companies or credit card processors for which GDPR is is very important, you know, they don't want to be in the gray zone. Yeah, for them, it, it became a rather easy decision to, to switch over from MailChimp to, for example, WebPower or to another European player. But yeah, what I wanted to say is that the, the first 25, 30 clients were very difficult to get one by one, but these were all top names. And again, you know, companies like uh, Croatian Telecom, Croatian Airlines, uh, Air Serbia, uh, big e-tailers and retailers, uh, one by one, we got them on board. And then actually after that, uh, your references are doing a lot of your sales because you can meet with then, let's say, also smaller companies, and then when you present them that actually a lot of large clients are already using your service, that gives a lot of uh, trust. And then after that, we also started really switching more into doing, uh, focusing actually our business development on content marketing. And that's something that I very much did on my own personal LinkedIn profile. So on one hand, you you do your personal branding on LinkedIn. And, and, and that's where I started initiatives, like you said, about the Buy Local campaign, which gave a lot of traction, you know, that started on LinkedIn. And then the mainstream media actually picks up on it. And, and it became, I think, even like a front page article on Sloboda Domatia, uh, the fact that we were going to hire uh, creation people for every 25 companies that would switch to web power. And um, so it, very much focusing on, on, on content creation, content marketing, and then we started getting more and more inbound leads. And then if you follow up on the inbound leads in the right way, yeah, those are much easier converting into clients than somebody that you called call to begin with. Yeah. So this, uh, let's say, okay, content marketing or maybe let's say PR activities, or not not so much PR, but let's say setting up good initiatives, let's say. It's, but not, it was not the last time you did it, let's say. The next such thing was, if I remember, let's say last year or something like that, or two years ago, was uh, Digital Nomads. Yeah. As, uh, let's say, and Croatia is perfect fit for them. Yeah, it was also in 2020. So I was, uh, I was participating in a virtual conference called Tourism 5.0. And uh, during that conference, I was going to get the question, what we can do to turn Croatia into a year-round destination. Now, I, I was no tourism expert myself, but I have a very good friend who is, which is uh, Paul Bradbury, the owner of Total Croatia News. So I asked Paul a couple of days before I was going to be part of the panel discussion on this virtual conference, 
if he could send me a couple of articles, which he did. Uh, and I and I read those articles. And then in one of his articles, he was talking about digital nomad tourism. And again, this was in a time where all of a sudden, everybody became a remote worker. And my thoughts were, how amazing would it actually be if you can live in Croatia, but work with a Swiss salary or an American salary or a European salary, like a good European salary, you know? Because Croatia really is is an amazing country when it comes to lifestyle and food and and you know the the the, the, the climate and the connectivity to to the rest of Europe. We have great internet connection here. Uh, it's a very safe country. So you know, I, I I thought it was a great place for people that are able to work remote to just work remotely from Croatia. And I mentioned that during the virtual conference. The same evening, it was even. Uh, uh, broadcasted on uh, on the evening news, the the small section that I had where I spoke about digital nomads, as a let's say, in my opinion, part of a solution to turn Croatia into a year round destination, and and after that I started promoting it on LinkedIn, with a lot of support from the LinkedIn community, and then uh, one day I I wrote this open letter to to the Prime Minister uh, Andrei Plenković on LinkedIn again where I asked him if he would be so kind to consider introducing a digital nomad visa in Croatia. And 44 days after that open letter on LinkedIn, I had the opportunity to meet with him. Uh, and that's during that meeting, he gave me his full support for introducing such visa or permit, I have to say. It's a, it's a staying permit. And at that moment, he also tweeted out on his uh, Twitter account that Croatia was going to introduce a digital nomad permit. And in the weeks that uh, followed, or actually months that followed, I've been working with ministries, several ministries, to get all the legislation in place. And as of January 1st, uh, 2021, so a bit more than a year ago, actually, right now, uh, Croatia became the second country in Europe and the seventh country in the world to welcome remote work professionals up till one year in Croatia. Wow. So you probably did not expect this. Well, I was Let's hoping say, for uh, it. I was hoping for it. Uh, I like to aim high, but uh, that that we managed to do something like this in this short period, uh, that, that also surprised myself and many other people. Yeah. Does being an expert, let's say, helps you recognize the opportunities that locals would miss? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, you can only recognize opportunities if you are also open to what is happening around you. And if you are very let's say, narrow with your focus or very close-minded, so to say, uh, then, then it's anyway very difficult to see any kind of opportunities, you know. But yeah, of course, I'm fortunate enough that, that I grew up in, in, in one of the most developed countries, the Netherlands, one of the richest countries in the world, and that I can always look with one eye what is happening over there and, and perhaps also see what therefore is missing in Croatia. And, but actually, you know, the biggest inspiration I'm getting simply by listening and talking with people here in Croatia, uh, you know, one thing that people in general are very good at, not only in Croatia, but in the world is complaining about things. And then if you actually think about it, you know, everything that people complain about at the end is a business opportunity. It's just that you need to match that problem that people are identifying with the problem solver, also knowing, known as the entrepreneur, that will come with a solution to fix that problem. 
And, and then, of course, you know, if you fix many problems or if you fix very big problems as an entrepreneur, that will then ultimately result in you having a big company. And yeah, you know, in that way, just by listening to people here in Croatia about the things that they are not happy about or the things that, that they think we could improve in this country, yeah, that, that, that very often is an inspiration for me to, to do something with business-wise. Do you think that your example has changed some minds that, let's say, previously would say, oh, nothing can, could be changed? Let's say, because this kind of fatalism, it's quite common, let's say, uh, here locally. Do you think you changed some of the people? Yes, not, not just me, but uh, there's a whole group of entrepreneurs in Croatia that are actually leading by example and that are showing that it's possible, you know, and um, uh, that we, we have several unicorns now in Croatia, Rimac, Infobip, we have uh, other beautiful companies like Infinum and Nanobit, you know, these are companies all started by guys that are like my age, even even younger, some of them that that have shown that it's possible to do really big things in Croatia. Um, one thing that I've actually been able to show then, of course, which it has not so much to do with, you know, starting a big business, uh, but I've, of course, with, with this entire Digital Nomad initiative, I've actually demonstrated that uh, a private initiative can, can even all the way come to, to the office of the prime minister and that Croatia as a country is actually able to, to recognize certain opportunities and to pivot and, and to adjust and change it, its laws to, to allow an opportunity to happen like that. Because right now, I mean, um, even though we are very limited with, with our budgets in, in terms of promoting Croatia as, an, as a digital nomad welcoming country, but with all the free publicity that we got, uh, Croatia now, uh, by some sources, is the second most loved country among digital nomads in the world. So we have Japan on number one and then followed by Croatia. And this was done in a survey on nomadlist.com where 150,000 digital nomads, they had they are completing that questionnaire and Croatia ended up being on the number two spot as most loved country. And Zagreb was in the top five as most loved cities for digital nomads. And probably if it wasn't for this permit and if it wasn't for all the media hype and the PR that comes together with that, uh, Probably, no, not just you, but many other people would not have thought of Croatia or Zagreb. Okay, so you mentioned this, let's say, looking at the problems and finding a solution, let's say. Can we also talk a little about crop? Because if, let's say, from the outside, it looks to me that like you are addressing one of the biggest challenges in Croatia right now, let's say with Slavonia as a region. Yeah, this, this is one of those examples, you know, wherever you go, when you speak with people here, they always talk about how great the food in Croatia is. Domestic food, you know, they, we all know somebody that has the best potatoes or the best tomatoes, you know. Food in Croatia, in general, people are speaking very romantically about it. It's, it's one of the best foods that you can possibly eat. At the same time, people are saying that we as a country, that we should be able to feed Europe. But unfortunately, it, it, that isn't the case, you know. I mean, we are an importing nation. Well, before, actually, before I moved from the Netherlands to Croatia, uh, in the past, Slavonia was an area that was able to feed entire Yugoslavia, an entire region. And today, Croatia became an importing nation. And, and at the same time, we have everybody complaining about that. 
but not so many people doing anything with that. Yeah, and then I happen to be a guy that, that, that was born and raised in the country that is the second largest exporter of food in the world. The Netherlands is, after the United States, the second largest exporter of food globally. And we are doing that in the Netherlands by using the Dutch greenhouse technology. And, you know, after I had been, so to say, frustrated long enough to, to, to witness that, that Croatia is this importing nation while it should be an exporting nation, yeah, at, at one point I decided, you know, that's something that I would want to do something with. And, and I wanted to build massive greenhouses here in Croatia so that we can actually grow food in a, in a, in a sustainable in a reliable and in a, in a nutrition, nutritious way. The world population is growing. Okay, here in Croatia, the population is in decline. But in general, also in Europe, the, the population is growing. So the need for sustainable way of producing food is only going to increase. And I think that Croatia has actually a lot of um, competitive advantages here if you compare it with, for example, the Netherlands. So to, to name a few, First of all, geographically, we are very nicely positioned where we have huge capital cities around us and, and, and simply a lot of mouth to feed. I'm yeah. speaking about Serbia, Hungary, Austria, Slovenia, Italy, you know, I mean, this entire region could be receiving their food from Croatia, or from Slavonia. Millions and millions of people. Uh, then the land is, is relatively cheap. Here in Croatia, we have a lot of it. Uh, a lot of it is also owned by, by the government or by cities. So that land can all be, let's say, used for building greenhouses and production of food. Then we have actually something that is now, especially with this conflict now also with Russia, more important, I would say, than ever, which is the fact that we in Croatia can actually grow our vegetables without being dependent on gas. Because we have geothermal heat. We have hot water in the ground. Almost entire Slavonia has hot water on the ground. And we can bring that hot water up to the surface and warm up our greenhouses in that way. Then on top of that, we have a lot of light hours in Croatia. So we can produce our own electricity by using solar energy. So we actually don't depend on any fossil fuels to, to grow our vegetables in greenhouses. Then we have um, labor market. Labor is cheaper than, uh, than in the Netherlands. And on top of that, last but not least, we don't have to transport our vegetables all the way from the Netherlands to Croatia because we are already here in this region. So I would say if you add it all up, I think that we have a lot of competitive advantage of actually developing massive greenhouses in Croatia from where we can, I mean, the goal that I have with crop is, is to become less dependent as a country on importing food and ultimately to help turn Croatia into a food exporting nation again, like it used to be. So what was the end goal for crop? No, so we, we want to own our own greenhouses. So we are actually right now in, in very advanced stage of, of talks with a Dutch agriculture fund who plans to invest in crop here in Croatia. And with their investment, together, of course, with then raising debt from, for example, Habor, the Croatian National Development Bank, we plan to raise enough money to build, in, in the first place, a six-hectare 
greenhouse. And after that, after we have managed to build our first six hectare greenhouse, we, we plan to really do it in a way that we can create a blueprint to, to continue replicating this over and over again and to build more and more of those greenhouses. I mean, just to put it in perspective, the Netherlands has about 9,000 hectares of greenhouses. Croatia has about 55 hectares of greenhouses. So there's a lot of room to, to develop. Uh, and for that, there's a lot of money needed. And then the good thing is that actually money has pretty much never been cheaper than it is today. So I think that the timing for making such investments probably couldn't be any better. Well, look, uh, let's draw our conversation. Let's say I saw one recurring theme, let's say, talking to you, let's say, so punching about your weight class, let's say a little bit with the ideas and so on, and then actually pulling them off. So what would your advice be to somebody who has maybe an idea or an inkling, something he would like to solve, but thinks it's above their weight class, let's say, so they could not solve it. It's too big a problem for them. What should they do? How should they approach it? Well, I mean, first of all, I think that if you can imagine it, then you should be able to do it. You just have to find a way how you can get to that point to, to actually do it. And, you know, truth to be told, but I've started a lot of businesses, but I always have business partners in all of my businesses. So, you know, together you are always smarter and stronger. So if you maybe you have an idea, you, you can kind of imagine how that, would, how that would work or how you would want to do it, but you maybe can also identify certain weaknesses with yourself where you think like, oh, I wish I had uh, uh, more skill set in one area or whatsoever. Then maybe if you can identify clearly what it is that you are missing, Maybe you can find a business partner that would be very complementary to who you are and what you are capable of doing. And maybe you can do it together with somebody else. Jan, thank you for this conversation today and all the little bits of knowledge and your experience you share with our listeners. And thanks to everybody who listened to us until the end. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Ulrich. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And do not forget to tell your friends about it. I would really appreciate if you tell me which entrepreneur would you like me to interview next. Just email me at podcast at bootstrapentrepreneurs.eu. The episode show notes are available on www.bootstrapentrepreneurs.eu. See you next week.